scripture reading today is 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 to 12, verse 15, and then from the New Testament, Hebrews 4, 12 to 15. begin with 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 and this is the word of God and it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David remained at Jerusalem Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was, while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, If it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerobasheth, 
Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Gabez? In Thebes, why did you go near the wall? And then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and we came and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you for the sword devours one as well as the other. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would also have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with, his, with the sword, You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. So far from 2 Samuel, and we turn now to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, where we'll read verses 12 to 15. 
beginning of verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So far, the reading of Scripture and the text for this morning is composed of three parts of three verses of 2 Samuel 12. And I'll just read those again. 2 Samuel 12, the first part of verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And then also the first part of verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And then the first part of verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, if you think about it, what a disappointing, what a disappointing part of the scripture we read in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. David, the man after God's heart, kind of a hero in the Old Testament. And we have the tendency to only want to hear good stories about the people we admire. But the Bible doesn't do that. And that brings me to what happened back in 1994 in the Israeli parliament, in the parliament of Israel, the Knesset it's called. In a debate, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, the late Shimon Peres, made a statement that offended all the Orthodox Jews in the Knesset. And he said, not everything King David did, whether on the ground or on the roof of the palace, is acceptable to a Jew like me. And the Orthodox Jews were upset by that statement and they put forward a motion of non-confidence in the government of Israel at the time. Because in their eyes, what David did here wasn't sinful at all. You see, according to an Orthodox Jewish rabbinical tradition, Bathsheba was already divorced from Uriah the Hittite at this time. All the men who went to war in those times, they, those rabbis claimed, they officially got divorced from their wives before they went to war. And that was so if they were killed in battle, there would be no big legal issues for their wives to deal with, and then they could remarry right away. And Uriah's refusal to go into his wife after David called him back from Jerusalem is evident of that, evidence of that. Because to go for Uriah to go back to Bathsheba at the time would have meant that he would be committing adultery with her because he had been divorced from her. So according to the rabbinical tradition, David did not really commit adultery with Bathsheba 
because she was not married to him, to Uriah anymore. And if you wonder why David wanted Uriah out of the way, killed in battle, they claimed that Uriah the Hittite was non-Jewish rebel who deserved to die anyway. See, those rabbis just could not accept that King David had fallen into such serious sins. But the Bible doesn't make things nicer than they are, also not with the saints. The Spirit doesn't hide David's sins in any way, nor the sins which other saints like the Apostle Peter fell into too when he denied his Lord. No, their, their sins are described up front and as a, a warning to us and also to show us the Lord's work to bring his covenant children back to himself again in repentance after they have fallen. And so I preach to you this morning David's repentance from his sin with Bathsheba and we pay attention to three moments in that repentance. First, Nathan sent. Secondly, Nathan's words. And thirdly, David's confession. First of all, Nathan sent. And that's 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Congregation, a lot happened in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. David had sent his army out to wage war while he nicely stayed in Jerusalem. His obligation was to lead the troops, but he, he stayed home to relax at his palace. And as he was lounging on the roof of the palace, he looked into the backyards of people who lived around the palace, and he saw this beautiful woman bathing. Bathsheba, the wife of one of his mighty men. And he gave in to his sinful desires, and he committed adultery with her. And shortly afterwards, she lets him know that she's pregnant. Now, David didn't want his sin with Bathsheba to become public. And that would damage his kingship. And that would seriously bring down the man after God's heart. The man whom God had so blessed. So he tried to cover it up. One sin led to the next. That's how it is. He called Uriah to Jerusalem to sleep with his wife, but it didn't work. And he tried to get him drunk, but that didn't work. And so he sent him into the most dangerous spot in battle where Uriah was then killed. And after that, David tried to go on with life as, he had, as if he had done nothing wrong. He married Bathsheba, and eight months later or so, a son was born. And you realize that David was pretty far from God during that time. And it could have been a year, more than a year. In Psalm 32, he wrote about a time like that. He says, as we sang that in Psalm 32, stanza 2, while I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David wrote that much later. But if you had asked him during that year how things were going, maybe, maybe the elders came for an annual home visit. Then he would say, oh, things are fine, things are great. My relationship with the Lord is good. 
But in his heart, he knew it wasn't. And if you asked, you know, if he had been edified by the bringing of the word and, and the, uh, by the sacrifices on the Sabbath day, he would, would most likely have said something like, oh yes, I'm, I'm certainly encouraged by those things and thankful for, for the forgiveness that is shown me in his sacrifices in the temple. But in the meantime, he refused to acknowledge his sins and to repent from them. And it's miserable to be sick, but it's even more miserable not to take the medicine needed to get better. Sinning is bad, but not seeking forgiveness, not repenting is much worse. God can handle sin in Christ, but he cannot handle refusal to repent. That sin against the spirit, which is unforgivable. Well, in time, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Had David sought that? Sought the prophet to come to him? Not at all. If it had been up to David, he would, over time, have completely lost his relationship with the Lord, his God. If God had waited until David had sought him out, then David would have been lost to him altogether. If the Lord our God would leave us over to ourselves, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we would also end up with no relationship with him at all. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Why? Well, listen to what we confess in the Canons of Dort, chapter 5, about the perseverance of the saints. Might be good to read that at home later on. In Article 4, we confess that the saints, even like David and Peter, may certainly fall into serious sins, such as Holy Scripture demonstrates. And Article 5 describes the effects of such serious sins. They greatly offend God. They incur the guilt of death. They grieve the Holy Spirit. They suspend the exercise of faith. They severely wound the consciences. And sometimes, for a while, they cause the sense of God's favor to be lost. Until those saints repent. And God's fatherly face shines on them again. But then in the following article, we confess from Scripture that God will not permit His elect to be lost, but will again renew them to repentance. He does that. They will not completely fall away, but God will draw them to Himself. And that's because God's counsel of election cannot be changed and the merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ cannot be nullified. Those whom the Father has given to Christ will not be lost. Christ gave his blood for them. He will call them back. He will do that. And see, congregation, that's why the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David with his word. 
He does that also to you. Every Sunday. That's the only reason that you can come to repent of any sin. God sends his word to you and he calls you to himself. David thought he could get away with his sin, that he could just bury it, don't think about it. Everything will go away by itself, hopefully over time, maybe five, ten years, I won't even think about it anymore. But that's not how it is with serious and unconfessed sins of believers who come under the word of God. Those sins start to eat away at their conscience. It affects their lives negatively. And then God sends out his word and his sacraments every Sunday again. Or he sends his word during the week when you have your daily devotions. Or when you take part in Bible study groups. He sends his means of grace to you to confront you with your sin and to call you to repentance, call you back to him. And you see, this is why we need to keep praying this, the last stanza of Psalm 139, for instance, every time. And that psalm was also written by David. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if I from your ways depart. Probe my every anxious thought and let me by your word be taught. See, with his word, via his word and, and also via the sacraments, God searches us, probes at our thoughts, pulls at our consciences so that our sins eat at us, bother us more and more until we come to him on our knees. And that's why in his grace he sent the prophet Nathan to David with his word. And congregation again, if the Lord our God did not come to us like that, we'd all continue with our sin, we'd harden in it to our condemnation. But with the proclamation of the word, God says, you don't want to see me, but I want to see you. You don't want to come back to me, but I do want to draw you back to me. And we come to the second part of the sermon, Nathan's words. So the Lord in his grace in Christ, we could say, already sent Nathan to David. And don't think it was easy for the prophet to go to David, to the king. It's not easy for an office bearer to go and admonish someone who is stuck in sin. And especially someone who's in authority. But Nathan came to admonish that selfish, covetous, adulterous, murdering king of Israel. And he did so with tact given by God. He came with a very simple story. A man with all kinds of wealth and large flocks didn't want to give up a single one of his own sheep to feed a guest. So he stole from a poor man who had only one lamb. You know, if you read about something like that in the, in the newspaper or heard about it on the news, you'd mostly likely react with disgust, right? How could he? With David, you'd say that person like that should, should be punished severely. 
Pay attention to how easily you condemn other people when you read about their sins or when you hear about the injustices that they commit. We're quick with that. How easy we are to judge and condemn others. You know, they should lock that person up and throw away the keys. But then the Lord could come to you too with his word and say to you also, but you are the man, you are the woman. Because what's the point? Well, a sin can take all kinds of forms, shapes. But in principle, it still is sin. You can think of something like chocolates, you know, chocolates. You can buy chocolates in the shape of little balls or squares or in the shape of people or whatever, big or small. But whatever the shape or size, they all taste like chocolate. Same with sin. Take what we call serious or gross sins like theft, murder, adultery, or take what we think of as minor and less serious sins like jealousy, envy, anger, lustful thoughts. They all taste terrible to God. They're all offensive in His sight. Whether they're on the outside or on the inside only. The serious as well as the less serious sins. Think of what David did. He wasn't doing his duty, leading his army. A sin like that can take all kinds of forms. Calling in sick for a job or for a task while you actually don't feel sick. Avoiding your duty by sneaking out so you don't have to do your assigned tasks at home, boys and girls, or your homework for school. And then the Lord comes to you too, as he did with David, and he says, you are the man, the woman, the boy, the girl. Or think of David not turning away when he saw that beautiful woman bathing. For us today that can be going to places where there is pornography or watching soft or hard, hard porn on the internet or on your cell phone, looking lustfully at someone else, maybe even in church, Coveting your neighbor's wife or husband. Maybe the thought even goes through your mind. What if I were with him or her instead of the person I married? And then too the Lord comes with his word. In the, in the reading of the law every Sunday for instance. And he says you are the man. You are the woman. David already had so many possessions, so many wives and concubines, and yet he stole somebody else's wife. You can think here of the sin of covetousness, envy about what someone else has that you don't. Fancy car, nice big house, new video game, good looks even. You have so much, but you're envious of what God gave somebody else. And then too, the Lord comes as he did to David, and he says, you are the person. David tried to hide his sin act as if he had done nothing wrong and today for us that can be something like hiding your phone so nobody sees that you're sexting with somebody else or it can be saying that everyone, everything's fine at home while there are serious issues and then the Lord comes to you and he says you are the man, the woman and I could go on but I, I hope you get the picture Nathan says to David why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight you see, we 
maybe we think we can get away with sin. But the Lord sees us. He sees right through everything. You might be able to hide things from other people, not from the Lord. And today, too, the Lord comes with his word. He comes to you with his word, which is as a two-edged sharp sword, which cuts into the hearts and souls of all of us as we read in Hebrews 4, a two-edged sword. Look how it cut into the life of David when Nathan came with that word. And when we despise him who gave us so much, then we all, all, all we have, congregation, that word just cuts deep and is very painful. Even people who have all the promises of Christ, whom God has given so much, then it has to cut deep. But congregation, that sword is in the hand of a gracious God who doesn't seek the death of the sinner, but that he or she repents and turns to him and lives. Again, if he didn't seek us out with the sword of his word in every sermon on every page of the Bible when we open it, we'd be lost forever. But think, that sword of the word cuts deep because it's a sword that's dipped in the blood of Jesus, in his atoning and saving blood, that sword pierces deeply and painfully so that Christ's blood sinks deep into our hearts and souls and minds in order to call us to repentance from our sins and to embrace our only Savior from sin, Jesus Christ. Notice, though, the sword is two-edged it cuts to repentance but it can also cut the other way to those who are not really the Lord's it can harden hearts against God that same sword and there's nothing worse for anyone than to ignore that sword then to hold on to their sin and to rebel against the Lord for life. Things will go from bad to worse with your soul. First you justify yourself and you think, ah, there's lots of people doing a lot worse than I. And then your thoughts harden to thinking, just a, a bit longer, I can always repent later on, until finally you end up thinking, I don't want God. I just want to be happy for myself. I want Him out of my life. And then you ignore that sword of God's word, and your heart hardens more and more until you come to complete rejection of God. And in time, then God will not send his word anymore. No Nathan calling you to repentance anymore. No forgiveness and, and hope anymore than either. Brothers and sisters, young people, boys and girls, let the sword of God's word cut deep into your hearts and conscience, that sword dipped in the blood of Christ, then everything will change. And that brings us to the last part of the sermon, David's confession of his sin. The sword of the word cut deeply into David's soul. Listen to what he says in reaction to the Lord's word from the mouth of Nathan the prophet in the first part of verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Very strong words. 
And we have the echo of those words in Psalm 51, which we already sang together too. Notice that David confesses he has sinned against the Lord. He doesn't express regret. He doesn't say, I was so dumb and now I have brought harm on myself and it caused a lot of trouble to other people and people will look down on me for this. I wish I hadn't have done this because now I have to bear the consequences for a long, long time. That's regret. King Saul and later also Judas who betrayed Jesus, they had regrets. But regret is not repentance. I have sinned against the Lord. Repentance like David had. He, he said, I have sinned against the Lord who made me king, gave me so much power and riches and a place in his eternal kingdom through a son to be born out of my house. I have seriously, wickedly offended him. That's, there's a lot of pain, actually. It's a very short confession of David, but there's a lot of pain. There's emphasis on those words. I have sinned against the Lord. Notice he didn't come with excuses. Lord, I couldn't help it. Sin never has any excuses. No, as David said in Psalm 51, he was deeply conscious of his sin. And all day long, his misdeeds haunted and grieved him. He confessed that the Lord had every right to punish him, to put him to death, and to cast him out of his sight. David acknowledges that his sin was totally his own fault. Because when he thinks about his sin, he also confesses how, how deep it is in himself. It sits in him, that sin. That sin was in him from his conception already. He was born with it, Psalm 51. And every sin he committed then was a sign of what was truly inside him, his own sinful human nature. He confessed that of himself. He wasn't a nice, good person who sometimes makes mistakes. No, he confessed that in himself he's sinful, wicked. It's amazing that that's not always so noticeable even. And therefore David holds out empty hands to God. Be merciful to me, O God, and let me again see the joy of your salvation. Only then... Could he go on? See, congregation, those kinds of thoughts and words are evidence of true repentance. Even though the Lord, through Nathan, had just uncovered David's sin and told him that he would be punished for what he had done, David still reaches out for God for his mercy so that he can go on with him again. And so when David says, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan could declare to David right away, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die forgiven. Forgiven. Completely. And yes, the Lord's wrath still hung in the air, his anger. But David was already completely forgiven. And brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord, then you'll know that's totally the way the Lord is. It's his style. He deeply desires to forgive the sins of his children, his people. He wants to forgive your sins. And that's why he sent Nathan to David. That's why he keeps sending out his word today also to you. And 
That's why he invites you to his table when there's the Lord's Supper. He so wants to forgive you and me and so many others. We don't move God to forgive us. He moves us to want to receive his forgiveness. Heaven is just loaded with forgiveness. Ready to be poured out on repentant sinners. People who turn to Christ. One groan of repentance and forgiveness pours down from the Lord on them. And congregation, that's because Jesus Christ has so completely suffered for sins. So completely paid for all our sins with his blood. He sits at God's right hand, eager to pour out that forgiveness he obtained by his cross here on earth. One word of repentance. And it, he wants to pour it out. And all heaven rejoices with him, therefore, when one sinner repents. Jesus wants the grace he earned by his suffering and death to be used, to be poured out. Imagine that, you know, imagine that you worked incredibly hard to build a new road somewhere to a beautiful place and then nobody takes that road, nobody makes use of it. But when somebody does make use of it, you're just delighted. So Jesus Christ, delighted to forgive when you take the path of repentance. So how could we then when God's word uncovers our sins, not go to that throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. In the beginning, we mentioned those Orthodox Jews who refused to accept that King David had fallen so deeply into sin. David, king of the Jews. But we believe that the Bible is inspired by the Spirit and that the Spirit had a good purpose with putting this in the Bible. And there are at least three, maybe four reasons why the Spirit wanted this in the Bible. It wasn't included for our enjoyment anyway, to revel in David's sin. Because that's what so much of today's entertainment world is about, right? You can, for instance, watch all kinds of deceit, murder, adultery, and so on in all the movies for your entertainment. Well, that's not the reason why the Spirit had David's sin included in the Bible. This was written as a warning to us. Sin is like a snowball rolling down a hill. It begins with a small thing, and if it isn't stopped, it just gets bigger and even becomes an avalanche. Pray that last part of Psalm 139 often so that the Lord searches your heart to show any sinful way in you. Even if you live what you and maybe others too consider a good life. Think of David. He had a good life. He was a man after God's heart. Wrote psalms. But on a nice normal day, he climbed the stairs to his roof. And that day turned into a, an awful one. Maybe he had forgotten to pray at breakfast that morning. 
Watch and pray every day, brothers and sisters, that you may not enter into temptation. Another reason you could say is that this was included in the Bible is for our comfort. Even if you committed those serious, gross sins that David did, even if, you're so, if you, you were or are so caught in such a sin that you wonder if God will ever accept you again and the consequences have even ravaged your life and your family, know from what is written here about King David in these chapters that the way to reconciliation with God in Christ is still wide open to you as long as you have breath. In fact, the only unforgivable sin is if you refuse the Spirit's call in the word to repent of a sin you have committed. And then you still might say, well, yeah, but David truly repents. I don't know if I can repent like that. But don't forget that repentance was worked in him by the Lord too. Through the word of the Lord. So just keep listening to that word humbly. And another reason this is in the Bible, is to honor God. He shows himself here as the one who holds on to us. Even when we have sinned in the past, he's the one who brings back his elect, the one who gives them perseverance. And the only reason you still believe today is because of him, his grace in Jesus Christ. And finally, I could add yet, David, an imperfect king, and we see here how imperfect his life was. And his life is a call to the true and the perfect king. Jesus Christ is a call for him. The king who lives and reigns forever. Amen.